You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported, Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting for WFHB, this is Benedict Jones. And I'm Cade Young. This is the WFHB Local News for Tuesday, August 22nd, 2023. But for people in wheelchairs, Lyft refuses to serve them. Later in the program, Disabilitin, a segment highlighting disability news across the country and around the world on the WFHB Local News, hosted by Abe Shapiro. More in today's feature report. Nikki is a loving and affectionate elderly dachshund who came to the City of Bloomington Animal Shelter with over 60 other dogs. Also coming up in the next half hour, Lil Bub's Lil Show, a co-production between the WFHB Local News and Lil Bub's Big Fund. But first, your local headlines. The August 16th meeting of the Monroe County Board of Commissioners met to approve municipal election polling sites and budgetary projects. Lori Kelly, the Monroe County Health Administrator, outlined changes to Indiana's COVID-19 treatments, including emergency room visits and how positive COVID-19 tests are to be recorded. Statewide Indiana, as of August 8th, has seen an increase in the number of emergency room visits for COVID-like illnesses. Um, There has been a noted increase in reported COVID cases as well. Um, The Indiana Department of Health is changing the way that they report COVID cases. Um, So beginning soon, only lab facilities and testing sites who report electronically will be required to continue to report COVID test results. Monroe County Clerk Nicole Brown presented for approval a list of 25 polling sites for the municipal general election in November. The polling locations, including Bloomington High School South, are ADA compliant and have been used successfully in previous elections. The motion passed 3-0. The meeting moved along to approving budgetary motions. The commissioner's administrator, Angie Purdy, introduced a motion to fund a large garage project expected to cost $236,400 to repair and maintain the vehicles in Monroe County's fleet. That motion also was passed 3-0. This particular contract was kind of um, overlooked and has been sitting for a while. So this is um, trying to get us back on track and moving uh, correctly and appropriately forward. It takes care of all of our county fleet with the exception of the heavy equipment. Program coordinator at Youth Services Bureau of Monroe County, Sarah Jamison, sought approval of a contract with National Cinemedia to promote their Safe Place Outreach program. Part of our outreach strategy, which uses digital and in-theater advertising to educate and promote awareness about our Safe Place program, to youth and families in our community. The Safe Place ad will run before every PG-rated movie as well as every 12 minutes in theaters. Our digital component of the contract focuses on what they call OTT and CTV, which shows ads also through Hulu and Amazon Prime and the channels and streaming channels targeted and targeted devices that have interacted in theaters. The next Board of Commissioners meeting will be Wednesday, August 23rd at 10 a.m., at Nat U. Hill, 
located at 100 West Kirkwood Avenue. The Monroe County Public Library Board of Trustees met on Wednesday, August 16th. During the meeting, the board discussed the increased number of patrons, solar panel installation, and Ant Flow, a new program that will be running at the libraries to ensure equitable access to menstruation products. Director Greer Carson addressed the increase of patrons in his report. So we had another uh, month of significant increases in registered patrons. No fewer than 777 new library cards were issued in July. Our summer reading program and our new Southwest branch are the two greatest factors behind this increase. And we're very excited to see that this trend has now continued for four straight months. So in April, we had 320 new new registered patrons. In May, we had 569. In June, we had 722. And of course, in July, 777. So our total registered patron count right now is 63,523 as of August 1st. Considering that relative to the population of our county, I think that's pretty good. So we're excited to see that. During the old business section of the meeting, the solar panel initiative was approved as well as the Ant Flow project. Carson discussed the solar panel installation. So last month we shared a proposal to install solar panels on a portion of the downtown library roof. We have been awarded a $25,000 grant from the city to pursue this project, which covers all but $223 of the cost of installation. So Brian Leibacher, our building services director, had come and spoken with everyone, presented on the estimated energy savings, which are admittedly minimal in terms of this particular set of solar panels, but could be expanded upon, particularly if the city's grant program finds success and they renew the grant opportunities for further development next year and beyond. Perhaps more importantly, we see this project as an opportunity to demonstrate the importance of pursuing clean energy options for large facilities like ours. And again, something that we can expand on going forward. Um, I also want to point out that what we're planning to do in working with MPI to determine exactly where the solar panels will go will also leave us room on the roof to explore other development opportunities down the road. So we don't want to fill the roof with solar panels necessarily, and there's plenty of roof space for us to do this and look at other opportunities. Next, a library assistant at the downtown branch working in the teen services department presented the Ant Flow initiative addressing period poverty. Uh, today, I'm here to inform you of an initiative is which is the result of work myself and others have done for over the past four years. Um, what is the project's goal? When initially conceived of this project, the goal was to make free period products available to our patrons in order to aid in addressing issues around period property, equity, and inclusivity, inclusivity within our community. Period poverty is a broad term used to describe a lack of access to period products due to financial constraints. This can affect a person's ability to perform routine daily activities and in some cases can result in people using unsanitary means to take care of their period. We want our patrons to know that they can always come to a library if they're unable to afford period products for themselves or for others. The next Monroe County Public Library Board of Trustees meeting will be held on Wednesday, September 20th, 2023. Up next, Disabilitin, a segment highlighting disability news across the country and around the world on the WFHB Local News hosted by Abe Shapiro. In today's episode, Shapiro provides an update on the case of Lyft versus Westchester Disabled on the Move 
over the rideshare's company's alleged lack of wheelchair-accessible vehicles, or WAVs. Shapiro has more. Good evening, I'm Abe Shapiro, and this is Disabulletin, where we cover the top stories impacting the disability community across the country and around the world. Over the last five years, on the banks of West Plains, New York, the transportation company Lyft has been embroiled in a lawsuit with organization Westchester Disabled on the Move, or WDOMI, a disability rights organization headquartered in Westchester County, New York. In the lawsuit, WDOMI argues that Lyft is violating the Americans with Disabilities Act, or ADA, by not providing wheelchair-accessible vehicles, or WAVES, which accommodate non-foldable wheelchairs. The original lawsuit was filed in 2017 by Harriet Lowell of White Plains, New York, on behalf of individuals with mobility disabilities who are, quote, pervasively and systematically excluded, end quote, from Lyft's convenient transportation services, as Lyft does not provide wheelchair-accessible vehicles in White Plains where Lowell is located. Yesterday, I spoke with Jeremiah Fry Pearson, the lawyer fighting on behalf of Westchester Disabled on the Move in their lawsuit against Lyft, and who has previously appeared on our program, along with his colleague Aaron Kelly, Harriet Lowell, the plaintiff in this case, and Mel Tansman, the executive director and representative of WDOMI, the second plaintiff in this case. We began by asking Tansman about how the case began, followed by Harriet Lowell, then Jeremiah Fry Pearson. What led to this organization taking on a big entity like Lyft? Mel, do you want to talk about that? It really started for us back in, uh, I guess it was 2016 or 2017, where Lyft, as well as all the ride-sharing services, were trying to get a state law passed, which would allow them to, uh, to you know, spread throughout New York. Now, we had no problem with that because, you know, people need transportation. But what we did have an issue with was the availability of wheelchair-accessible vehicles. We got involved at that point. Representatives from uh, independent living centers were on the, uh, there was a panel that was set up after they passed the law uh, that talked about a lot about accessibility. And that's when we really got involved with it. I mean, I've gotten many calls throughout my 20-year career from people visiting who uh, use wheelchairs. How do I get from here to here? And um, often I didn't have much to offer. And um, it seemed to me that Lyft is an essential part of the transportation system. Back in 2017, Jeremiah and I were working on getting accessible taxis in New York City and Lyft and Uber were coming in. And those, and I was discussing my personal struggles because I am a non-driving scooter user. And uh, my husband drives me, but he can't always do that. And it, it's a real problem. And so that's what led to this case. And for, for myself, the rights of people with disabilities are really important to me. I have a brother with very significant disabilities. Fry Pearson then provided a lowdown on the facts of the case, Lyft's main arguments for why it cannot provide access to people in wheelchairs, and how the Americans with Disabilities Act, or ADA, the primary civil rights act for individuals with disabilities, impacts this case. Lyft serves able-bodied people everywhere in the country, no matter what the population density, no matter what the service level is. But for people in wheelchairs, Lyft refuses to serve them everywhere in the country, in 96% of the country, except 
for nine regions where regulators make Lyft provide service. So you have a scenario where in New York City, regulators force Lyft to provide wheelchair accessible vehicle service. So New York City, if you pull up your Lyft app, there will be waves. If you cross the street from the Bronx into Westchester County, Lyft starts blocking wave service. And Lyft has taken the position, it's taken a bunch of obscene positions. It's argued it's not a transportation company. It's argued the Americans with Disability Act doesn't apply to it. But it now argues in essence that it can, as one of the largest transportation companies in the country, refuse to serve people in wheelchairs in 96% of the country. And because Lyft is a new cutting edge corporation, if Lyft and Uber can get away with this, they're going to move us backwards. And the ADA is all about moving us forward. I'm pretty sure this is the case that's Title III of the ADA, which forces private entities, um, and in particular, public accommodations, to serve people with disabilities. The basic point of the ADA is if you operate a public accommodation, you have to make reasonable accommodations to your services to allow people with disabilities to have the opportunity to participate. And Lyft's position is, first, that it's not a public accommodation, which is insane. Second, it's not a, a transportation um, provider, which is insane. And third, there's nothing it can do to serve people with disabilities in the 96% of the country where it refuses to serve people with disabilities. And that's insane because in 4% of the country, it does. So how hard is it just to do what you do in the 4% in the other 96%? A common concern amongst rideshare companies is that there's an insufficient supply of waves in the country to provide on-demand service and the cost of modifications. Some companies suggest that lowering the floor, then adding a wheelchair ramp and securement device for a wheelchair to an already existing vehicle adds fifteen dollars to $30,000 to the overall cost of such a vehicle. In an email, a Lyft spokesperson said, quote, Lyft has a long-standing commitment to maintaining an inclusive and welcoming community and we're constantly seeking solutions to address wave supply challenges, end quote. I also asked Jeremiah Fry Pearson how Lyft might prevent people from obtaining access to waves in other parts of the country using a toggle and blocker, and if it is possible for both tools to be removed by Lyft. Fry Pearson elaborated. In some of the cities where Lyft has been forced to provide wheelchair accessible vehicle service, it uses the toggle to suppress service. And briefly what the toggle is, is all ride modes appear on, mo except for wheelchair accessible vehicles in every, every other ride mode that Lyft has will appear automatically on your phone if it's available. So you can pull up your phone and you can see Lyft Green, you can see Lyft Lux, you can see Lyft XL, they'll just automatically appear. But in some cities, Lyft has, does it so to find wave service, you have to use a toggle, which is this complicated series of hoops you have to jump through in order to find wave service. In New York City, they ordered Lyft not to use the toggle and wave service increased by 500%. So one of the things that we're asking for is once Lyft stops nationwide discrimination and turns off the blocker, they shouldn't be allowed to turn on the toggle and suppress wave service. Um, those are all things we're going to be asking the judge for. But the first and most important thing is just stop blocking service. It's, it's not difficult at all. What Lyft does is in the 4% of the country, if you say, hey, I have a wheelchair accessible vehicle and you're a Lyft driver, then Lyft makes it known that there's a wheelchair accessible vehicle that's available. And if you need a wheelchair accessible vehicle, you can call it. Um, in 96% of the country, Lyft blocks you from saying, hey, I have a wheelchair accessible vehicle or hey, I need a wheelchair accessible vehicle. 
Um, one ironic thing is one day Lyft's programming got messed up and it turned its blocker off in Denver. And all of a sudden, all these people were like, hey, I have a wheelchair accessible vehicle. I want to give a ride in Denver. But in Denver, Lyft isn't forced to provide this service. So what did Lyft do? Did it allow the rides to happen? No, no, no. It dropped everything and kept blocking. Um, so all we're at, we're actually, our expert um, helped force Lyft to provide good service in New York City. And we're going to, we have detailed proposals for how Lyft can provide the best service. But our first request is really simple. Lyft needs to stop blocking wave service everywhere in the country. That will cost Lyft virtually no money and the result will be transformative. And it would be good if Lyft, which pretends to be a progressive company, stopped discriminating. I asked Lowell about how the lack of wheelchair accessible vehicles impacts her daily life and what she, along with WDOMI and the disability community of Westchester, sought from the case. You know, there have been times when my husband was like in the hospital. He had a pulmonary embolism actually twice. And I couldn't get to the hospital because, you know, he couldn't drive me. He was in the hospital. And, um, you know, many other less dire things happen. But, you know, if I need to go someplace and I want to go on my own, you know, I should have the same rights that non-disabled people throughout Westchester and throughout America. You know, there are a lot of people like me in this area and, and throughout America. And there's really no reason why we should be served the same way as everybody else. I asked Fry Pearson about the regulation of such rideshare companies in New York State. The Taxi and Limousine Commission of New York is one of the primary regulatory uh, agencies, right, regarding uh, transportation uh, in the uh, in the state. Is that correct? New York State um, regulation is is very complex. Um, the TLC authority in New York City is wonderful in forcing Lyft to provide wave service. Lyft provides wave service in New York City that is qualitatively better than their standard service in much of the country. Outside of New York City, Lyft has been able successfully to avoid any regulation that forces it to provide wave service, which is why they block. As soon as the cars drive out of New York City, Lyft blocks and providing wave service. And unfortunately, no regulatory body has stepped up and directly fixed that. Although we have heard from many people who wrote laws like the New York State Human Rights Law and say, we wrote that to cover companies like Lyft. Um, and our court case is how we're going to force Lyft to follow the law. Fry Pearson also spoke about those who have come out in support of the organization's litigation campaign. One, one thing I want to just emphasize is how much has gone into this case. We've had organizations like Paralyzed Veterans of America provide their testimony to the court. And Paralyzed Veterans of America has a powerful story to tell, right? These are heroes who, fighting for our freedom, fighting in our wars abroad, in many circumstances, lost their ability to walk, right? They became paralyzed. And so they're fighting for the rule of law. And then they come back to this country and a multi-billion dollar corporation says the rule of law doesn't apply to it and it can discriminate against them. And all of those people, including Paralyzed Veterans of America, who stood up in federal court and said, no, under the ADA, we want to be served. Their voices have been heard by the judge, and when we go to trial, I think their voices are going to be heard, and we're going to we're going to make real change. WDOMI Executive Director Mel Tansman clarified WDOMI's stance on alternative transportation for people with disabilities, but reiterated WDOMI's stance and shared the story of the late WDOMI advocate Ansel Lorio. We don't expect that Lyft is going to be a perfect service 
I don't believe there is a perfect service, especially for providing transportation for people with disabilities. What we want is that to be one of many choices because when systems fail, it's always important to have a backup. So Lyft would provide that if they had wheelchair accessible vehicles. And one, one thing I'd like to add, um, it became very personal for Westchester Disabled on the Move when a person who was a consumer at the time, but later on became a board member, um, told a story to us. There was a freak early snowstorm. Um, I think it must have been 2018 um, when uh, he used the wheelchair. He had uh, muscular dystrophy, I, be I believe it was. Um, and he had been out at his doctor's appointment at a clinic um, in Mount Vernon. Um, when the freak snowstorm happened, paratransit, which he usually used, um, canceled because the line system, which is the regular uh, bus system, closed all its routes down. So when the B-line system goes down, so does the paratransit. So he found himself stranded there um, in Mount Vernon when he had to get home, and uh, he couldn't go on the streets in his power wheelchair, and there was too much snow and too much of a mess at the time. And, you know, he tried. He wanted to have something like a lift there. Ultimately, what had to happen was the only way they could get him home eventually was to first take him to the emergency room of a hospital. In other words, having to call an ambulance as if he had an emergency and had to be uh, at least, excuse me, assessed in an emergency room, uh, if not admitted. So, you know, that was a frustrating process. Um, we lost um, him last year um, just from the, you know, uh, muscular dystrophy is usually something that takes people's lives. So it did become very personal to us. Um, Ansel was a remarkable human being. When you get to know the people and the people impacted by it, it does become a very personal um, struggle for you. In 2021, a judge in the Northern District of California ruled that the lack of wheelchair accessible vehicle service on the Lyft platform does not constitute discrimination under the ADA. I asked Jeremiah Fry Pearson about this decision and how the upcoming Lowell and WDMI case would argue differently. There was a similar case like this in San Francisco that Lyft won, and they argued to a federal judge who believed them that there weren't enough wheelchair users in the city of San Francisco to have a class action. They persuaded a federal judge there were not 40 wheelchair users in San Francisco who would use Lyft. With all due respect, that's just wrong on the law, and our judge didn't agree with it. But the reason they were able to persuade a judge of that is they have infinite resources. They've employed two law firms. They've spent millions of dollars fighting this case. And I guess the big question that kind of flows out of this is why, right? Why is Lyft trying to invest so hard in being on the side of discrimination? Lyft's entire business model is about not being regulated, right? They're an app. They're not a transportation provider. They don't have to pay their workers under the labor laws, all that stuff. So they don't want to have to serve people with disabilities. They don't want to be made to do it. And it's really unfortunate. They're going to throw everything in the kitchen sink and we're going to have a trial. 
But I think in this case, we're fortunate enough to have, first of all, just human beings who are right. Uh, you can't sit down and hear Ansel's story and hear Harriet's story and think it's okay for a major corporation to refuse to serve them. And second of all, I'm blessed to be part of a really talented legal team. When Lyft convinced a federal judge that there weren't 40 wheelchair users in the city of San Francisco, we beat that by going out and getting hundreds of declarations, sworn pieces of testimony saying, hi, I'm a wheelchair user and I want to use Lyft. And our judge cited that. And so we just got more than 40 people to testify so that Lyft's ridiculous argument that there just aren't people with disabilities um, so that that wasn't effective. And we're going to beat, they're going to come up with a lot of clever arguments. It's going to be our job to beat them back. And that's really how all big fights for change happen. We have a major corporation that's willing to invest millions of dollars to break the law and discriminate. Uh, they get beaten because people like Harriet, people like Mel, people like Ansel have the courage to stand up and lawyers have the courage to fight them. Abe Shapiro, WFHB News, Live and Learn. Now it's time for Lil Bub's Lil Show, a co-production between the WFHB Local News and Lil Bub's Big Fund. We turn now to that segment. Welcome to Lil Bub's Lil Show, a weekly co-production from WFHB and Lil Bub's Big Fund. We highlight adoptable animals with special needs in South Central Indiana and spotlight topics to promote human animal welfare. First, here is today's featured animal. Nikki is a loving and affectionate elderly dachshund who came to the City of Bloomington Animal Shelter with over 60 other dogs. She would do best in a home without other dogs since she has a bad habit of resource guarding food, toys, etc. from her canine friends. Nikki loves meeting new people, thinks rolling in the grass is the best, and she can take surprisingly long walks for a gal who's almost 12 years old. She does have Cushing's disease, which is treated with medication. Nikki's foster mom says that she's a gem and can't wait for you to meet her. Nikki's adoption fee is waived. If you're interested in learning more about Nikki, please reach out to the City of Bloomington Animal Shelter. If you're interested in adopting today's featured pet, you can learn more at our websites, goodjobbub.org and wfhb.org. You're listening to Lil Bub's Lil Show, a co-production of WFHB and Lil Bub's Big Fund. We now turn to this week's featured topic. According to Cornell University, Cushing's disease, or Cushing's syndrome, is caused by excess cortisol production due to a tumor in either the pituitary gland or adrenal gland. Signs of Cushing's disease may include increased drinking, increased urination, increased panting, and lethargy. 
Changes in appearance may include an enlarged abdomen or pot belly, hair loss, thinning of the skin, and calcification of the skin. Middle-aged to older adults are at the greatest risk of developing Cushing's disease. A final diagnosis of Cushing's disease may involve blood and urine tests, x-rays, and ultrasound assessments. Treatment is typically pursued when the clinical signs start affecting a dog's quality of life and also when it's necessary to reduce the complications associated with Cushing's disease. It's important to talk with a veterinarian about how to weigh the risks of surgery or the possible side effects of available medications. With an accurate diagnosis, appropriate treatment, and monitoring, canine Cushing's syndrome can be very well managed. Many abnormal signs will likely show improvement within a few weeks, but improvements in skin and hair may take several months. Thank you for tuning in to Lil Bub's Lil Show on WFHB, produced in partnership with Lil Bub's Big Fund. For more info on today's featured animal and topic, find us online at goodjobbub.org and wfhb.org. Support for the WFHB Local News is brought to you by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. More information online at mpisolarenergy.com.